Hey, Soundwavers, welcome to chapter 52. This is part two in our Surf Cities Safari series. Next up, San Francisco. As usual, we get into the weeds, sidetracked and just plain lost. But rest assured, the town of San Francisco will never look or sound or perhaps smell the same. Let's set the scene. 1967. San Francisco was coming into full Technicolor bloom. It was the summer of love and hippies were flooding into the city from all around the USA. The Grateful Dead lived at 710 Asbury Street in a communal house paid for by renegade chemist Owsley Acid King Stanley. Everyone there knew the moment was special. Perhaps inevitably, the summer of love gave way to a blood-stained Hell's Angels winter. The Rolling Stones' free concert at Altamont Speedway marked an end of innocence of sorts. But not long afterwards, only a few miles away, a young, enigmatic surfer stared with curious wonder from his high school playground. His telescopic gaze was fixed firmly on something barely visible beyond the rock-strewn, watery graveyard on the ocean side of Half Moon Bay. Way, way out past a little stretch of sand named after an old, puppy dog called Maverick. Ew. This following program is dedicated to the city and people of San Francisco who may not know it, but they are beautiful. And so is their city. This is a very personal song. So if the viewer cannot understand it, particularly those of you who are European residents, save up all your bread and fly Translove Airways to San Francisco, USA. Then maybe you'll understand the song. It will be worth it. If not for the sake of this song, but for the sake of your own peace of mind. Lights beam, creates dreams. Walls move, minds do too. On a warm San Franciscan night. Oh, child, young child, feel alright. On a warm San Franciscan night. Angels sing, leather wings. Well, here I am in San Francisco. Oh, Northern California. Oh, people are cooler. Why does everyone need to be on drugs or have butt sex to be cool? G'day, listeners. You're tuned to Soundwaves, a podcast that explores the nexus between surfing and music and the nefarious spaces in between. Between the wave and the rave, between the heaving shack and the martial stack, between neoprene and spandex, the mosh pit and the death pit, fiberglass and vinyl, the boogie and the board, between Brian Eno and George Greeno. So wax up, 
your stick, crank up the stereo and paddle out into the secret sonic surf spot that is sound waves. Tales from the shack. Hello, hello. Shack, shack. G'day. G'day, bom dia. Hi there. Um, yeah, yeah. We, need, we need to put on, I don't know what the accent is, but um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Huh. That sounds Canadian. Uh, so, uh, San Fran. San Fran. Um, if you're going to San Francisco, be sure to wear some flowers in your hair. Yeah. When was the last time and... you when was the last time you wore flowers in your hair, Daz? Uh, I think it was in Tahiti. Yeah, Samoa. Yeah. Was that, was you gotta that... be careful. Mm, because you, you um uh, I think in one ear it means you're uh available. Ah. And the other other means you're taken. Ooh. Uh yeah, yeah. Okay. Gotta be careful. Especially um... when there's some uh quite large <laughs> lustful Samoan men around you yeah. never know um I on my uh, increasingly rare forays to uh to Sydney town I always like to pick a frangipani flower mm. and, and put it behind my ear because it's just the best smell and you don't get that um in in these parts of the world so uh, obviously the frangipani it's a tropical uh, flower mm. tree it it needs um I think it needs some some nice uh, moist <laughs> weather. <laughs> Why is it? So, that... uh, yeah. gardening. Well, ga how good's gardening? He died in a bizarre gardening accident some years back. It's so really one of those things. It was, you know, the authorities said, you know, best. Should we should we hit the um, sort of lookbacks before we hit our topic du jour? Absolutely. Anything, anything you want to talk about that's been? Um, yeah, I want to talk. I want to talk about the fact that in the last ten days, I have neither. Well, I have surfed a couple of times, which is nice. Um, in between massive swells here, the swell's been kind of out of control. Um, I've had a couple of fine surfs, I must say, but um, mainly I've been completely uh, obsessed with football. And when ah. I when I say football, I don't mean the San Francisco whatever they are. What are 49ers? they? 49ers. 49ers. And I don't mean the Sharks or the Manly Sea Eagles. I certainly don't mean the um, uh, the Geelong Cats. I mean uh, national football, the world game, um, the Sheila Roos, uh, yeah, and and all of the rest. So yeah, I'm kind of uh, I mean I mean I'm trying to. Uh, my um, my work is being completely uh, governed by what games are on. So yeah, that's it. Fair enough. Um, yeah. And um, Portugal, how uh, are well, they going? Uh, yeah, they won the first game and they are playing tonight. So I've uh, already juggled a few uh, lessons. So I will be finishing five minutes early on my last lesson and running across the road to the uh, cafe to watch the game. So, yeah. Oh, nice. <laughs> but a few of the uh, the boys on our surf chat were frothing about the Aussie. The, uh... Uh, what, I actually watched it. Uh, Bloody right. Yeah. And actually, speaking of Portugal, uh, back to uh, – they actually qualified for the Rugby World Cup. I didn't even know they had a team. Yeah, it's funny. Um, I've got a, uh, yeah. I've got a, I've got a little student. Uh, Shout-out to Antonio, who is in the Portugal under-15 rugby team. There you go. Yeah, they're pretty – they do their own – they have a Portuguese haka. 
So, um, okay. yeah, go on. Oh, wow. Check it out on um, on YouTube. It's quite cool. Hey, okay, okay. Ah, Portugal. Ah, bacalhau. Ah, batata. Wow. So um so music and surf can go get fucked. Uh, no, actually I um I went to the Nazare Canyon um Oof. as a as a voyeur. No, actually I went there f- to have the finest um, fish in all of um, Iberia. We went to this. Oh, really? This, uh, there's this tiny little restaurant, which is just a classic little little hole in the wall. And all they do is clams, local clams. From We have a big kind of in um, uh, coastal bay kind of thing. Um, so we had a beautiful plate of clams. And then basically what they do is they um, come to your table with a big, massive tray full of fish that's just literally been caught that morning in the ocean. Uh, you choose your fish, they weigh it up, and then they just grill it with a bit of salt, and that's it. Serve it up. Fucking lush. Wow. Wow. Mm, really nice. Uh, fresh as. Still still kind of flapping on the, <laughs> yeah. on the tray. Not as... Uh, <laughs> not like uh, we had an experience in Tokyo where, lit- where they literally served up uh, prawns which were still alive and you had to eat oh. them. You had to eat oh, them God. still alive. Yeah. Ugh. Wow. Yeah. Um, wow. <laughs> and uh, tunes wise, any, uh, um, seems like mm, tunes have me, taken a backseat to uh, everything tunes, else. Tunes have, comple- tunes, tunes have completely taken a backseat. Uh, uh, my, uh, no, I, I can't say that there has been a, a couple of songs that have been kind of um, bouncing around my head, but I can't remember them at, at the present time. What about you? Well, I, I've been uh, I've been into this. Uh, I think I sent you the article. It was in the Sydney Morning Herald, and it was it wasn't like a uh, you know a Pulitzer Prize uh, winning kind of article, but it was basically talking about the limitations of well, not the limitations, the well, the limitations of no limitations. When you know the the headline of the article is "Who needs seventy five million songs? Let's bring back the broken tape deck." And basically, this article was saying. Um, who is it? Tabitha Carvin was saying she was basically remembering a time when she is was she a, is, she a, is she a surfer? Oh, I, I hope so. She's but, Carvin. Um, She's Carvin. That, oh, of course. Tabitha Carvin. Uh, basically, yeah. So it says, uh, when the eject button broke on the stereo in my mother's car, the cassette, which happened to be in there, Paul Simon's concert in the park, became trapped forever and so basically it was a story of how, how that was the only thing they could listen to in the car henceforth for the next few years until i suppose they got a new car and i, I just kind of like that idea of of the the self-imposed or even the uh randomly imposed limitation of music choices and i i've become a i don't know i've become disillusioned with the um the paralysis of choice with Spotify, etc. Yeah. Anyway, and the same article said was talking about uh, this theory that um, the more you you kind of listen to the same thing, 
the more you get out of it, which yeah. I, I, kind of, I always kind of felt bad listening to the same thing, thinking I was just being boring. Um, it says, researchers have found that people who rewatch and reread and re-listen actually increase their engagement and focus over time because of their, the way their relationship to the object of their attention develops and changes. Wow. Far from representing a kind of stagnation, the process of revisiting the same thing, which the researchers call volitional reconsumption, Whoa. is an extraordinarily dynamic one. There you go. With the source material taking on a life of its own in its interaction with you, the consumer, in a way that transforms both. That's I, cool. I can... Well, you know, you've, my my feelings of about um, Spotify are well um, well known, um, uh, and I actually have a, a kind of form of the broken tape uh, player in my car because our our car is 2010 and it has a CD player in it, um, no Bluetooth okay. CD player, and I for a time I kind of had a little CD wallet. Uh, and I would I would kind of change it change it up and whatever and then I mm -hmm. I one day I was cleaning the car and I took the CD wallet out but a CD stayed in the machine and it's uh, Rockers Hi-Fi DJ Kicks the Black album and I I which is a great great album um, and I would say that uh, I would fully support that theory because I've definitely you know I've, I've often listened to the radio. Uh, or podcasts or whatever, but um, mm. uh, definitely I have picked up um, some nuances in that album and have grown to appreciate it even more. So I would uh, I would vouch for that theory uh, 100%. Tabitha Carvin, mm. she's onto it. She's What do you um, reckon? Should, well, should we get into San Francisco? I think we, we should. Um... I think we should definitely get into San Francisco. San Francisco? That city from And the Band Played On and Milk? So what are we going to do first? I want to see the Golden Gate Bridge. I want to see Lombard Street. I want to see Ghirardelli Square. Guys, guys, let's get lesbian haircuts and see them all. All right, the gay jokes are out of the way. Now let's get down to business. How about this? Um, why don't I start with a quote from our Lord and I don't know what you call him. Spiritual guide. Spiritual guide. Yeah, Matt Warshaw. Hey. Um, of Surfing. Get on it. Sponsor yep. him. Yeah. Do he's doing a, he's doing a sponsorship drive at the moment. So uh, everyone, yes, all, yeah. all you, all you three and a half listeners should. Um, Please. That's right. Put, put three three US dollars a month into his pockets to keep surf history right. alive. 
Anyway, this is Matt Warshaw. Quote, I moved to San Francisco in 1991 and for two or three years the city flew hither and yon, Tinkerbell-like, across my dull SoCal beach bro senses. Everything I experienced in San Francisco during this period was at the very least new and different and often borderline magical. I'm not a Grateful Dead fan, but whatever ecstasies the hardcore spinners used to feel sorry, used to feel during the course of a three-hour dead show, that's what it was like for me every time I drove west on Fell Street or had dinner on South Beach or paddled out at Taraval, which I think is Ocean Beach. Uh (laughs) Walking into the Richmond District Safeway was a buzz just because it was in San Francisco and not San Clemente. That's That's awesome. What did he, what did he, there was some, something spinners. There's a great, um, well, that, the, or the, 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 the Grateful Dead spinners, the hardcore spinners. Well, it's it's interesting that you should talk about um, well, a, you know, a, a lyrical description or a, a prose description of San Fran because that's kind of the the uh, that's the angle I'm going to be going down um, certainly surf wise today. So um, right, right. My uh, take on San Francisco is uh, I haven't been there. I've always admired the place and wanted to be there. My um, my old man lived there for a year in 68 or six, 68. So right in the... What? Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Your dad is like the Forrest Gump of <laughs> cool experiences. We've mm. got to get him on the show. Yeah, well, oh he was God. He was in... I'm, I'm pretty sure he was near Haight-Ashbury and right in the thick of it. Um, in fact, he, okay. he, he oh. went to... He saw... Um, yeah, all sorts of mad concerts and, and all kind of all kind of stuff. Uh, well, I'm sure he saw a lot of, as you can imagine. Um, and so did, yeah, and when I, he when he decided to leave, did he just hop on hop on the nearest bus and and uh, realise it was um, he, he hitched a ride with uh, Neil Cassidy and the Merry Pranksters and yeah, and he, you know, he did, he woke up have, in New York or something. He didn't have any pants on. We weren't old enough to be beatniks and we were a little too old to be hippies. Everybody I knew had read On the Road. It stirred us up. So we decided to go travel across the country. Since it turned out that there were so many of us, we decided we'd buy a bus. It was like a troop of minstrels. There was this guy with no shirt on talking Malaman. Cassidy is going to drive the bus. <laughs> it looked like a traveling pleasure palace. The public always grinned when they saw that bus. We are the Merry Band of Pranksters. Um, no, he actually did hitch a ride, but he hitched a ride on a uh, on a container ship all the way to Sydney. Um, no way. That's another story. Uh, so, but my um, my take on San Francisco is complete ignorance. So, I'm going to be I'm going to be coming at it uh, certainly from the musical perspective. I, obviously, I, there are a lot of bands that I am very familiar with, but I decided to go the complete opposite angle. So, I'm going to talk about. All of the San Francisco bands that I'm completely ignorant about, but I should know. So, um, um, and and because we we need to start every episode with a with a quote, or even if it's 25 minutes in. 
Yep. So Mark Twain, the, the king of quotas, uh, mm -hmm. of qu quotable people, said, all you need in this life is ignorance and confidence, and then success is sure. So um, I, I definitely have a lot of ignorance. I can't say how confident I am about this, but anyway, I thought we'd, uh, we'd go it. So ignorance is uh, bliss, I guess. Wow. Shania Twain's great-great-grandfather. It was a sage. <laughs> well, she's a, she's a, almost as quotable as, uh, as Mark. I don't know where can you, I, where you wanted can I to. with another yeah. quote? Sorry. Absolutely. Well, go, for, go for it. Oscar Wilde said, it's an odd thing. But anyone who disappears is said to be seen in Fran San Francisco. Oh, there mm. you go. I guess it, I mean it's it's obviously held a kind of place in the uh, in the kind of arty world's heart in terms of a kind of refuge for for lost artistic souls. Mm. Yes, that's right. And um, Anthony Bourdain. Uh, this probably hasn't aged well. This quote. Uh, any. <laughs> Anyone who doesn't have a great time in San Francisco is pretty much dead to me. <laughs> wow. Um, so. He lived by example. Um, exactly. Oh, uh, that's cool. Yeah. I like that. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, and I like one it. more. Sorry. One Go more. Go for it. John Lennon. John Lennon. I like this one. Uh, John Lennon. Los Angeles? That's just a big parking lot where you buy a hamburger for the trip to San Francisco. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Um, so I've got I've got um, one, two, three, four, five, six bands uh, or artists from six decades, yep. the sixties until the tens, um, yeah. that I should the, from San Francisco that I should know more about. <laughs> <laughs> okay, hit me. What, what's your well, What's your take on the before we go into it, and how how are you going to do your musical sojourn through San Francisco? Uh well, I, I'm not gonna. Well, not. I think just my concept of San Francisco is it seems like it's a magnet, and uh, it just seems like it attracted and probably still does attracts revolutionaries, uh, free thinkers, and kind of yeah, you kind of wackos, whack jobs, wackos, what do you want to call them at, at first? And this is even in surfing. You had, you know, uh, you had someone surfing the one of the most craziest big wave spots alone for upwards of 10 years. In Half Moon Bay, who's, you know, formerly famous for its annual pumpkin festival. It's as if they've discovered Mount Everest out behind Mount Whitney. Teenage surfer Jeff Clark grew up along Half Moon Bay's secluded coast writing homemade boards in the region's powerful rugged waves, where he carved out a frontier existence, far removed from surfing's mainstream. I was a freshman in high school, and you could see this place exploding from out behind the building where we'd all congregate in the morning. And I was with my childhood friend, and it's like I had to go, Brian, we gotta go check that out. Jeff Clark was sitting out there, nobody in the bleachers, no helicopters flying over, no no cheering crowds, doing his shit by himself. He'd be like a, the equivalent of a mountain man killing grizzly in the Rockies, you know, and doing a three-day battle and then sleeping inside the carcass that night and not having anyone to tell about it. My parents had no idea I was riding waves like this. I believed in my ability to go out there and ride it. It was my sanctuary. I could leave the shore, and go out there and be so focused and so in tune and feel the ocean 
with every fiber in my body, and I was part of it. Jeff Clark's greatest challenge was how he internalized all that emotion and all that drama and all that adrenaline, surfing that place alone year after year after year. Yeah. You had big wave crazies kind of just being attracted there. Some unfortunately met their doom there yep. in the surfing world. Then you had uh, the the free thinking kind of beat generation people all attracted there for one reason or another. Now it's jazz. The place is roaring. All beautiful girls in there. One mad brunette at the bar drunk with her boys. One strange chick I remember from somewhere wearing a simple skirt with pockets, her hands in there, short haircut, slouched, talking to everybody. Up and down the stairs they come. The bartenders are the regular band of Jack and the heavenly drummer who looks up in the sky with blue eyes, with a beard. He's wailing beer caps of bottles and jamming at the cash register and everything is going to the beat. It's the beat generation. It's Bayat. It's the beat to keep. It's the beat of the heart. It's being beat and down in the world and like old time lowdown. And, and on a non on a non music or surf note, unless you consider um, Mark Zuckerberg to be a surfer, Silicon Valley mm -hmm. is is there. So you've got you know that it's, yeah yeah it's a yeah. hot hotbed and Berkeley and you know it's a hotbed of uh, and this is actually yes. from the from the surf angle. My angle on on San Francisco is I I would uh, put out put it out there that San Francisco is the most intellectual surf town city in the world. So. Wow. Um, yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. You've already you've already mentioned um, uh, Warshaw, who spent a long time there. Um, obviously, we've got William Finnegan. There's a whole range of other people, um, all kind of who've who've yes. done th done their time in the uh, in on the beaches of San Fran. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm totally totally with it. So I I'll tell you my band. So from the 1960s, I've got Sly and the Family Stone. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. From from the nineteen seventies, they just they just scrape into the nineteen seventies. There, there was one band that I was I could have picked, who are real real seventies, but I, I thought that it might be too far, a bridge too far, mm -hmm. which which was Journey. Um, oh, yeah, exactly. But I decided to pick the Dead Kennedys. I think they started seventy eight, so um, I'll, I'll give I'll give them the seventies. Although they're more they're more eighties. Cool. From the eighties, from the I've got Primus. Oh, <laughs> um, from the nineties, I've got the Brian Jonestown massacre. Um, hang on, hang on. I, if if there's a glaring omission in the nineties, <laughs> uh, MC Hammer, born <laughs> on blondes. Oh, I there. saw that. I saw that. Oh no. <laughs> oh, please. No. Nah, nah, um, okay. Sorry. What was the nineties again? Br Brian Jonestown massacre. Nice. Okay. Um, from the uh, noughties, I've got uh, Ty Siegel. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And from the tens, I've got, I think we've mentioned them before, Deaf Heaven. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I just want to start off with Sly. I mean, everyone knows about Sly and the Family Stone. Everyone knows that Sly and the Family Stone were super cool and, you know, out there and whatever else. But I, I just think, obviously, Sly and the Family Stone kind of came at a time where San Francisco was, you know, the kind of, as we've talked about, well, the, um, you mentioned the deadheads. Uh, so the great, yep. you know, great, you would 
you would classically say San Francisco, it's Grateful Dead, it's um, Jefferson Airplane, it's that kind of, you know, real, yeah. real hippie stuff. But Sly and the Family Stone, as as often was the case with, with I guess, the African-American take on things, was coming at kind of hippiedom in a, in a whole different, in a different way, right? Yeah, um, right. The it, there's a just is just a review of um of a compilation album that came out uh, of theirs and it, it says um, within a year of them appearing harbingers of a psychedelic musical revolution is precisely what Sly and the Family Stone had become as evidenced by the sparkling dance to the music. Its highlight is that's an album. Its highlight is dance to the medley to the medley, an extended version of the title track that features a thumping Motown backbeat, acid rock guitar solos, soul review horns, complex harmony vocals, and backward tapes. As it shifts exultantly into its final section, Hey Music Lover, exclamation mark, it sounds as vibrant, groundbreaking, and timeless as anything recording recorded in 1967. Proto disco, acid rock, fucking what is it? It's it's like it's kind of out of control stuff that um, I guess could only be. I don't know when did Parliament and Funkadelic come out? Is that are they also late sixties? I'm not sure, but that you know you don't really. Um, uh, there's nothing to kind of compare to it. I can't say I I know much more than that, and I don't have that much more to offer. But I would encourage the listener and myself to uh, to get. Get going on the sly. Nice. Yeah, no. Well, the funk side of hippie, the hippie summer of love is is probably downplayed. Exactly. Well, not downplayed. Probably it probably just isn't associated with the hippie thing. I totally agree. Um yeah. now, do you want to do you want to talk about a, a band or um are you well well I, I think um oh yeah when I was looking at bands from San Francisco I the the ones I knew were from San Francisco which you've already kind of mentioned but there was a couple of bands that I hadn't heard of and I just like the names to be honest so I won't talk about these bands but I just their band names are great there's a band called the tubes uh, yeah so, it, well it's because it, it, I'm going to I've got a whole list of San Francisco band names that that are surf related but yeah the tubes oh. The tubes is definitely, and then there's a uh, Frumious Bandersnatch, <laughs> uh, and probably one you've got in the Quicksilver. Sorry, in the surf thing is the Quicksilver Messenger Service. No, no, which, I haven't uh, got that. I haven't got that one. Yeah, so that that must be just recordings of the 
um, <laughs> the, the help desk, know, the head help. office's uh, head <laughs> office's answering machine, <laughs> uh, Quicksilver Messenger Service. Uh, what's your complaints? Press one. Yeah, no. Look, um, what what's a band that really sticks out? Oh, uh, yeah. There's one band that I I always like finding that the kind of I suppose you know the classic is the um. Rodriguez, the un- the underlooked band that never got its dues. Yeah, there's an interesting all female that they they were actually touted as the first ever all female rock band, which I'm not sure how true that is, but they were called uh, quite amusingly the Ace of Cups. Ah, okay, um, yeah, I did see that name, but I didn't, I didn't, yeah, uh, I didn't click on it, but uh, and they pretty much, yeah, for 50 years or so had never released an album. Because they were so suspicious of, you know, in inverted commas, the man, they never signed a record deal. But they, yeah, they've they've released a few kind of bootleg uh, albums, and they're they're quite uh, quite cool. The Ace of Cups are this incredibly well kept secret because if you weren't there for their four year incarnation, there's scant evidence of them. They were featured briefly in a classic documentary film called Revolution. And it's unbelievable. They're barefoot on stage on Mount Tam, rocking it. Who are these women? You know, where did they go? But one of the the members of the band, interestingly, was uh, a merry prankster on on Ken Kesey's famous uh, bus trip around America with the right. uh, Kool Aid acid test, etc. Uh, and her name, well, she was dubbed by Ken Kesey Casey as uh, Mary Microgram. <laughs> Others included Black Maria, Cool Breeze, Hermit, Zonker, Gretchen Fetchin the Slime Queen, Stark Naked the Beauty Witch, Something's Missing, Cadaverous Cowboy, Pitcher, No Turn Unstoned, Mary Microgram, Barely Visible, The Minister of Information, and of course the Chief, Ken Kesey himself. And another band I do have to talk about in, uh, with, uh, or in awe is our primus, and uh, you might um, have more to say about them too. But um, no, you can you can you can be the uh, the expert on primus because I'm um... well, I, I, I'm not an expert, and and because I, I think it takes a a certain level of uh, obsession to be into a band this kind of crazy and and kind of quirky. Yeah. I just don't think I've. I've it's like. I'll never surf Mavericks because I don't have the cajones. Yeah. Or particularly, I think Ocean Beach scares me more than Mavericks. Uh, yeah, that paddle just out. The, just that, the, that paddle out. Just oh. co- and in in cold water, copping those oh. waves like endlessly. Oh my god! Oh fucking hell! Yeah. And even yeah. after you catch a wave, I mean, I've watched I've watched videos of you, you see a guy catching a wave, and then there's just like sets just stacking up to the horizon, and then I mean, obviously oh. anyone anyone who's read Bill Finnegan, it's you just get stuck in this. There's this kind of endless impact zone that you can't escape. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's, oh, ho- I, I, it's horrendous. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Give me Mavericks in the chat. You can just sit in the channel and I'll yeah, well, that's favorite Mavericks. That's true. Um, but uh, Primus. Now, so my introduction to Primus, I was at, as that is, it must have been 94, 93, 94, whatever, big day out. Yeah. So there I am somehow. Uh, lost all, lost all my mates. I was sort of on my own. Wandered into the, uh, I think they were in the Horden. The uh, Primus gig uh, was 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 about to start, and I walked in not knowing anything about them. 
So, yeah, I heard about them a bit, but anyway, and that the starting song was this, it's called Here Come the Bastards. And I don't know if you know the song, but, and, and the quirky thing about it is it's in, and I don't know much about time signatures, but it's in five, four time. Wow. And so, so it's, it's uh, coincidentally, the Fr- that's, uh, fr- that, that's frenetic, right? Uh, it's just, it's just different. If you're, if you're just a, a simpleton who likes rock and roll, you know, you're not into jazz. You, you hear something in five four. You just don't know how to dance to it. You don't know how to. <laughs> anyway, it's you know, designed. So it's, it's, it's designed for the kind of drugs that people should not be taking. Exactly. Anyway, so so this so it starts off the introduction scene. And on there, and, and like like in some sort of weird horror film, these weird kind of. Primus fans just come out of the woodwork, all dancing and all singing along to this song in perfect unison, knowing the time signature, knowing. I'm thinking, oh my God, oh, this is some sort of weird cult. along and it was like oh my god this is like this is awesome but i just didn't know how to i just didn't have the faculties to uh <laughs> to uh to to uh comprehend it uh and then and then you, you weren't you weren't wearing your four non blondes t-shirt were you <laughs> <What? laughs> i always wear yeah. yeah you had to turn it you had to turn it inside out quickly exactly and anyway and so that was awesome and then the next song well, the next song I remember is called Tommy the Cat, and that's just this crazy, you know. And like, I'm not. I think the slap bass gets uh, probably fairly um, lamb maligned, lambasted. <laughs> lambasted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lamb lambasted. Ahead, <laughs> um, but yeah, Les Claypool on the slap bass uh, singing about a uh, cat's um, sort of conquests in an alley was. Uh, I don't know something something about it that stuck with me as a as probably one of you know we talked about live performances as 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 a live experience it was it's up there because it was just mind bendingly different and and super fun. The air was thick with cat calls, no pun intended, but not even a muscle in her neck did twitch as she sauntered straight into the heart of the alleyway. She knew what she wanted. She was looking for that stumble. He got. Well, that was me. Tommy the Cat is my name. And I'll say unto thee. Say, but do you want to lay down with me? Say, but do you want to lay down by my side? But do you want to lay down with me? Say, but say, but yeah, um, so. I, I don't know if, if this is a good analogy, but I would put Primus in the same kind of uh, 
not basket, well, maybe basket case as... Um, <laughs> of deplorables? Well, yeah, basket case of deplorables, um, particularly in terms of the fanaticism of the fan base mm, and, just the, and, mm. and, the, and the way that they are so kind of out there as butthole surfers and um, ween. Yes. Yeah, and on some way they're unlistenable, but on, on another hand they're they're so listenable. Like there there are songs that are so unlistenable that are just so addictive. Um, all yeah. sorts of um, screechings and uh, you know caustic uh, mutterings. Um, when I first started planning for this um, episode, I was going to put all the bands that I liked, and so I was going to have Steve Miller was going to be um, the sixties because I'm obsessed yep. with Steve Miller. Um, the seventies was a bit difficult, um, so I was pro- I was going to put Journey just because it was as a joke. Um, <laughs> uh, the eighties, I fuck, I can't remember who was who was I going to put in the eighties. There was someone. Uh, um, I've no digital digital underground. Um, <clears throat> oh uh, wow! Yeah, from, okay, from, from from started in the eighties. The nineties was going to be Faith No More. Um, the two thousands was. I can't remember who the 2000s was going to be. Uh, anyway, but um, Faith No More and then Mr. Bungle. Uh, yeah, Mr. The, the Mr. Bungle album, I think I've mentioned it before, but that was like a soundtrack to my first uh, big trip, surf trip. trip. Surf yeah. trip. And it's so unlistenable, but it's so <laughs> addictive. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I've, got so, I've got so much time. Mike Patton is just fucking, is just God. Um, and have, have you heard his, his Italian crooning? Oh, I I haven't no I know I know of it I haven't really yeah. um I can't forget I can't it. remember what his um alter ego uh is the name of it but we saw him live in um in the domain in Sydney at, uh, as one of those free uh, yeah. festival concerts man mind blowing the guy I mean the vocal range on Mike Patton is just out of control. I'm going to move back to the 70s because the 70s, um, strictly speaking, I guess the 80s, but anyway, they started in the 70s, is the Dead Kennedys. Um, And this is is another classic where, you you know, I think on my Pilko uh, mixtape, there was a Dead Kennedys (sighs) song. I'm pretty sure it was Holiday in Cambodia. Um, But the DKs are one of those bands that you knew you should have liked. And yes, and yeah. maybe maybe you got in. I mean, particularly for us, you, you got in a bit too late. Um, yeah, the, yeah. The whole image was there. The t-shirts are cool. Everything oh about God. them was cool. I mean, just yeah. the, the very fact that the guy's name is fucking Jello Biafra. You know, the whole it's, the whole yeah. thing about the band is is insane. Um, yeah. But then, yeah, I, I never, I never went back and did get into the to the DK. So, what about you? Yeah, I got in a bit late, and I but I did get into Triple J when it used to be a good radio station. Uh, I used to play a lot of his Jello Biafra's spoken word stuff, which right. is actually pretty cool. 
And so it, it definitely, you know, for a little, uh, you know, white kid growing up in Sydney in a pretty conservative area, I mean, the Dead Kennedys definitely opened my eyes to a different way of thinking and a, and a more questioning anti-authoritarian yeah, yeah. dance. I love the, some of his spoken um, word stuff actually kind of resonates a lot now with uh, COVID especially. Stay in your homes. Remain calm. The number one enemy of progress is questions. National security is more important than individual will. All sports broadcasts will proceed as normal. No more than two people may gather anywhere without permission. Use only the drugs prescribed by your boss or supervisor. Shut up! Be happy! Obey all orders without question. The comfort you've demanded is now mandatory. Be happy! At last! Everything is done for you. But as a, as a surf-related song, they definitely had surf sound in their guitar. Uh, Moon Over Marin is, is one of my favourite. Okay. Okay, so just a, just a couple of little things. Um, I'll mention a couple of songs, but uh, his current band is called Jello Biafra and the Guantanamo School of Medicine, which is quite, <laughs> quite, a, uh, quite a protest. But um, <clears throat> uh, how's this for some of the... Um, some of the either founding or past members. Obviously, there's Jello Biafra, East Bay Ray, yeah, yeah, Klaus, name, Klaus Fluoride, <laughs> um, uh, and Jeff Penalty. All Jeff pretty, Penalty. All, all pretty cool. There's a fantastic uh, cover by the Disposable Heroes of Hypocrisy. I'm your governor, Pete Wilson, you know The baddest governor to ever grab a mic and go boom Give me a budget, watch me hack it Give me a beat and I'll show you how to jack it I give the rich a giant tax loophole I leave the poor living in a poop hole At a time when AIDS is in a crisis I cut healthcare and I raise prices Sales tax, snack tax, excise tax Information attacks with a newspaper tax it's the pocketbooks of working families Increased tuition at the university One day I'll command all of you Even your kids are gonna pray to me in school Soon I'm going to be the president You might remember the last one this state sent California, Uber Alice California, Uber Alice California, Uber Alice California, the California Uberalis, this is from a review. It says um, uh, they employed elements of surf guitar, jazz, poetry, and even bolero across uh, their albums of biting wit, fury, and pristine pop songs. Uh, California Uberalis uh, incorporates Klaus Fluoride's ominous bass riff and um, uh, Bruce Schlesinger's drums combine a bolero rhythm with militaristic roles and guitarist East Bay Ray called the song our Wagnerian piece with a bolero rhythm, while the opening guitar lines have shades of gothic surf rock style that Ray brought into the group. So there you go, gothic surf rock. I am governor. 
Um, so obviously there's holiday in Cambodia. Um, probably one of the the classic song names of all time. Too drunk to fuck. Moon over Marin that you talked about. And 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 the probably the song that uh, is specific for this podcast called um, Short Songs, okay? Oh, yes. <clears throat> and um, Short Songs, the probably the silliest track in the band's back catalogue. Um, it says, written by the, one of, another one of the past members called 6025. Um, <laughs> this is the, uh, the band's second guitarist. Uh, what does it say? It's ridiculous. It's a ridiculously, it's strangely logical extension of pub of punk's obsession with musical back to basics. It lasts barely twenty seconds, yet manages to pack both winning riff and call and response vocal into a sparse running time, coming over like the Ramones high on ice cream in Disneyland. <laughs> DKs may be the, uh, the, the they them they're they're, uh, they're competing heavily with Brian Eno as the uh, patron saints of, of this podcast. Okay, so we've talked about Primus, so um, we we were a little bit informed yep. there. Um, the did I say the nineties? Yeah, the nineties. I've chosen the Brian Jones Town Massacre. We discovered one group teetering on the brink of total emotional meltdown: the Brian Jones Town Massacre. A retro 60s band fond of jangly tunes, but their performances can degenerate into quarrels so violent they're thrown out of their own concerts. This guy over here has had too much to drink. was formed in 1990 in San Francisco by volatile guitarist Anton Newcomb. Over 40 previous members have quit in frustration because of Anton's relentless abuse. Again, a band that I know very little about, although I have downloaded a few of their albums as well, but mainly because of the fantastic documentary Dig. Have you seen the documentary? Yes. Yeah, I think yeah. We've, we've probably touched on that. We have touched it's, on it's it. We cracker. have touched on it. Yeah. And it's, it's just such an interesting idea um, uh, how that you can, in some ways, although the Dandies had a couple of hits, obviously, um, you can in some ways be more famous for a documentary uh, outlining your complete Kind of downfall downfall than, than anything else um yeah 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 it's um yeah uh, there's definitely something sort of that mad geniusness about god what's his name anton newcomb An- yeah anton newcomb yeah that uh defies description so it's, it's definitely a documentary worth seeing and uh yeah, I, I can only imagine what a live show would be like. You, you know, you might get the best concert experience in your life, or the band could just start punching each other um, in a in an all-in band brawl. 1995. This is the year I met Anton Newcomb and his band, the Brian Jonestown Massacre. This is the story of us and our bands over seven years. Gentlemen, I want to introduce a band that knows where I live, the Brian Jonestown Massacre. Anton created the scene and everyone else has built upon it. The music he is 
A genius. I'm here to destroy this f***ed up system. Tell me right now you've never ever heard the Dandy Warhols before. I sneeze and it's come out. We're actually going to kick off a full musical revolution. Jonestown and the Dandies have a window of opportunity. We're going to take over the world. We're going to show you how to do it too. When you sign with a major label, they always tell you things like we're into careers, not hits. Yet if you don't produce a hit, they don't really give a f about your career, you know? We're gonna get the biggest record deal in history because we're smart. Right on, brother. Anton and Courtney, love hate relationship, I guess. I don't like being robbed from. <laughs> oh, gee, you got like a pack of junkies on the road, not eating much, drinking a lot. Is anybody gonna get grumpy and irritable and start fighting with each other? Is that blood on you? Yeah. From where? From your people's hand. faces. No, probably not. I'll kick your head in. You burn in hell for pretending to be God and not being able to back it up. Tell him to wear white and come when I call. He's stalking us now. I will not have him anywhere <clears throat> near me again. I'll, I'll still buy their albums. Yeah. This was epic. Whoa! It's gone ballistic. There's no way to have a revolution if you stay underground. I am the record company. Tell my son I love him. I'm never going to see him again. The Anton just don't die. Bombs away! I just love I love that so, whole who knows? I, I love that whole idea that someone can be that um, tied to their art that I mean it, it's you know and when I mean tied it's not just the the music it's the lifestyle it's it, it's everything I mean because the guy looks he looks rock he looks he looks fucking mm. and yeah. just the way that they live I mean in that in the in the film you just see that it's kind of just like self-destruction on a on a uh a, a, mag, a majestic Rick level large so, <laughs> yeah yes. absolutely uh so i mean that's all that's actually all i've got to say about um the brian jonestown massacre the the music is pretty interesting um i would definitely, oh, definitely. Uh, suggest yep. people give it a give it a crack so yeah um all right well, we we don't we, we don't have huge amounts of time but um to, to talk because i would i we haven't talked about surf yet, so. Uh, well, can I hit you? Uh, can I hit you with some surf stuff? Yes. I, uh, well, what I find amazing with San Francisco is, as I was saying, it's a bit of a magnet. Uh, it's obviously. I, I assume we're going to say Mavericks is lies within the San Franciscan kind of field. Yeah, and I think I, I. I mean, I think you could even at a stretch, you could even. I know that. The locals would hate this, but you could even kind of stretch up to Santa Cruz in some ways. Not yeah. Well, I was I was going to kind of say that. Like it is up, isn't it, or is it down? Well, it's all down from there. It's all like, down. So, it's all down. But from like from um, but say between San Francisco and LA, and I know John Lennon said uh, LA was just a burger stop to drive <laughs> up to San Fran. But you think of the drive from LA or vice versa, San Francisco to LA, you've got. First stop, Ocean Beach. Next stop, Mavericks. Uh, after that, you've got Santa Cruz. Then you've got Big Sur. I don't know if there's much surf along Big Sur, but it's definitely got a, a history and a, and a kind of vibe of all of its own. Then you've yeah. got the ranch somewhere along there. Yep. Then you've got Rincon. Yeah. Uh, and then yeah. well, Malibu, and then you hit LA. So... 
that that's pretty nuts. And then from San Francisco too, you've got like like your Mr. Nermelson Senior hopped on a boat. Next stop Hawaii. Next yep. stop after that Australia. You, you've got kind of a bit of a kind of a epicenter for a lot of goings on. I think. Well, um, and it's a, it's an interesting and and you know the, the it's been well documented, but the the same swells that light up Hawaii then light up um, San Francisco, exactly. right? And and so what I thought I'd talk about is another uh, Mark Warshorian uh, story, and uh, this is about the death of Mark Mark Mark, War, Mark Warshaw. Mark Warshaw, his his lesser known brother. Um, <laughs> Did I say Mark Warshaw? I meant Matt Warshaw. Anyway, this is about Mark Fu, and I didn't realize they knew each other. Um, and Mark, and Matt Warshaw actually did dabble in surfing Mavericks. Uh, he said he only surfed it a few times and and never wants to do anything, have anything to do with it again. But so this is the story of why he won't surf it again. Uh, can I can I indulge the listener in reading Please. this out? Uh, okay, I was just leaving the water. He was just going in. We said hello. Talked about the surf for a minute or two. He asked if he could stay at my house that night. Um, and this is Mark Fu he's obviously talking about. I said Brock Little was already in the guest room, but he could have the couch. Mark Fu walked off to, pa- to the paddle out spot. That was it. His last few living minutes on dry land. I remember walking into Mark Renica's San Francisco apartment around dinner time, half drunk, still freaked out, and with within a half hour or so being really angry at everybody in the room, all local Mav surfers, all friends of mine, for the way they were spinning the whole episode. It went something like this. Fu and the other A-listers who'd shown up that day, Mike Parsons and Brock Little included, had charged out there willy-nilly didn't figure out the lineups, went too deep, took off too late, rode for the cameras, didn't respect the place, in other words. Fu died as a result. The unspoken corollary to this line of reasoning being that the local did respect the place and therefore lived to surf another day. Fu's death was a fluke, a fatal piece of bad luck, which in fact was exactly why they had to reconstruct that fortress of bullshit. Mavs had just taken out one of the world's best big wave riders. Doc Renica and Brock Little accepted these were all very new, very provincial big wave surfers. To accept the randomness of this terrifying event meant adding a lot of weight to their barely tested big wave commitment, more weight than any of them were at that stage ready to bear. But these guys needed to believe that local knowledge could be worn around them like an invincibility cape. They were scared shitless and doing what they had to do to calm down and regain control. I was shocked by what happened and as scared as anybody, more scared than anyone, actually. I never surfed Mavericks again. What I hadn't yet done was feel any grief. Walking out of Doc Renica's with a head full of righteous anger allowed me not to think about the fact my friend was in Half Moon Bay morgue, about to fly back home in a box. Better to quietly rage at my friends than to cry. It was a pretty inconsistent swell. There was a, a set that came. Mark Fu and Ken Bradshaw were paddling for the same wave. Mark actually ha- had the inroad. He was a little bit more towards the channel and he had the inroad. He got the wave. The wave kind of lurched and it dug the nose of his board and he fell kind of face first. 
And when he fell, he kind of went. Um, like I said, the wave wasn't real gigantic. The problem was is that that wave, when when he got he, he lurched, hit, got sucked over because every time you get you can't if you don't penetrate, you, you know sometimes you'll penetrate and you get through the back. But this one he he didn't penetrate, so he got sucked in the lip. And you see him, he kind of goes over the falls. And what happens in that wave is that his tail his wave or his board breaks he's only got a little piece of his tail left and the way the bottom is shaped out there they have these kind of undertoes and I, you have these things called you know like it's an underwater full undertow so he got held down he didn't have a board to really show him where up was because it only had this little teeny piece of his tail left so he was held down and on the next wave which is a much bigger wave was Brock Little and um, Mike Parsons. Mike Parsons was deeper. Brock Little was, was a little bit further. They take off in the same wave. They're both too deep, and the wave breaks and just blows them up, and they both kind of get blown up. Um, Parsons, he eats it on that wave, and when he's underwater, he hits somebody. He knows that he hit somebody, and he, he guaranteed he hit Mark Fu. You, you felt him bumping under the wave? When I felt him bump. I felt something come up under me when, when I came up after the wipeout, and it was him. He was still, still under. In yeah. that in that story, um, it's Doc Renica is um, name checked on uh, a number of occasions. Now, the yep. pre as as our very intelligent listeners will will know, the precursor to Barbarian Days by William Finnegan was uh, two essays in the New Yorker called Playing Doc's Games One and Two. Um, yep. And uh, <clears throat> I'm going to read something from, and this 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 is now moving closer to San Francisco, moving to Ocean Beach. But this yep. is all about Doc Renica. So it, it, it kind of follows a, a logical uh, line of thought. Um, the first wave snapped my ankle leash, a 10-foot length of polyurethane strong enough to pull a car uphill as if it were <laughs> a piece of string. I swam underneath that wave and then kept swimming toward the open ocean. The second wave looked like a three-storey building. It, like the first wave, was preparing to break a few yards in front of me. I dived deep and swam hard. The lip of the wave hitting the surface above me sounded like a bolt of lightning exploding at, exploding at very close range, and it filled the water with shock waves. I managed to stay underneath the turbulence, but when I surfaced, I saw that the third wave of the set belonged to another order of being. It, oh, was, it was bigger, thicker, and drawing much more heavily off the bottom than the others. My arms felt rubbery, and I started hyperventilating. I dived very early and very deep, the deeper I swam, the colder and darker the water got. The noise as the wave broke was prematurely low, a basso profundo of utter violence. <laughs> <laughs> and the force pulling me backwards and upward felt like some nightmare inversion of gravity. Again, oh, I managed wow. to again I managed to escape, and when uh, and when I finally surfaced, I was far outside. There were no more waves, which was fortunate, since I was sure that one more would have finished me. Mark, this is Doc was there though, perhaps 10 yards to my right. He had been duck diving and escaping the unimaginable just as narrowly as I had. His leash had not broken, however. He was reeling in his board. As he did so, he turned to me with a manic look in his eye and yelled, this is great. It could have been worse. He could have yelled, this is interesting. <laughs> Everyone who surfs has a limit to the size of the waves he will venture among. The surfers in an area come over time to know one another's limits. 
In San Francisco, this mutual knowledge creates a dense little community, nervous and drawling in the beach parking lots on the big winter days. Men pacing back and forth, fists plunged in pockets, discussing the matter with dry mouths, laughing too loudly while out to sea, frightening waves rear and collapse. We study the waves, study the channels, trying to decide if the surf within, if the surf within is within the range we can conceivably handle. That range is as much psychic as physical and is inseparable from the group. If X goes out, that doesn't necessarily mean I have to go out, but if Y goes out, I'll have to follow. Because, <laughs> because so, anything within his range is, I know, within mine. That's epic. <clears throat> yeah. So, um, Reese, I mean, basso profundo, what kind of surf rider uses that language? <laughs> that is so good. What are these waves doing exactly? And what are they likely to do next? To a surfer sitting in the lineup, trying to decipher the structure of a swell, the problem can indeed present itself musically. Are these waves approaching in 13-8 time, perhaps, with seven sets an hour, and the third wave of every set swinging wide in a sort of dissonant crescendo? Or is this swell one of God's jazz solos, whose structure is beyond our understanding? So, um, and... So basically my take on San Francisco as a surf destination is, like I said, San Francisco as the kind of um, cultural or um, intellectual hub. Uh, um, yeah. so, so obviously we're talking about the best surf rider of all time, which is William Finnegan. We're talking about the second best, I would say probably, which is Matt Warshaw. There's also a guy called Dwayne, Daniel Dwayne. I don't know if you've heard of Daniel Dwayne. No. Um, another person who's worked for things like the New York Times, um, Surfer, Surfer's Journal. Uh, he wrote a, a book called Caught Inside. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and he's also, uh, he also wrote a, a book about Mavericks, the story of big wave surfing. Um, wow. So okay. that's another, another guy from, from up that way. Um, and, and on the, on, a, on the kind of journalist tip, uh, another one of my all-time favourite surf journalists is a guy called Lewis Samuels. I don't know if you remember Lewis Samuels. Oh, name is Bell. So Lewis Samuels in the, I guess it was probably in the, in the noughties, he used to do a thing called the Power Rankings. Um, okay. And it, I think it's a Derek Hines kind of well, thing. Well, Derek Hines started it off and he he took it on. He took on the mantle. But where Derek Hines was fairly scathing, he was kind of out of control scathing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, so, um, so he did these power rankings. He also, if you look on, um, on the Encyclopedia of Surfing, his entry, there is a photo of him with a black eye because he, he got punched out by some, I think it was a, I don't, I don't know if it's Andy Irons or it was some professional surfer, um, yeah, right. maybe Sonny or something. But um, basically he used to do these post-contest uh, things and then he, he would do the eventual end of the year power rankings, which were fucking yeah, hilarious. Right. I'll give you a few examples. The the the, a, the, the surfers that are mentioned will, will will be testament to the kind of age of when when it stopped uh glenn hall i know micro i know micro hall is kind of irish when it suits him but i've always confused him during post eat interviews with groundskeeper willie from the simpsons if you if you put willie's balls in a vice and ratchet it up the voice another octave 
<laughs> yes, I know Willie is a fictional Scot, not a fictional Irishman, but we're almost done. Kolohe and Dino. You know in the you know in the <laughs> movies you know in the movies when some futuristic robot develops sentience and then the bad guys want to shut him off forever? Well, mm. Kolohe and Dino is a bit like that robot. He appears to have developed inconvenient feelings. <laughs> Again, <laughs> Adrian Bucken. I don't want to see Ace lose his job, but like many fans, I don't want to watch him surf heats anymore either. <laughs> great guy, great surfer, great dental hygiene for an Australian. <laughs> but WSL tour surfers are paid entertainers. I can appreciate the work of a great tax account, but it doesn't mean I want to watch them in action. <laughs> Uh, oh, that's so good. Yeah. So, um, and I'll we'll do one more. Um, Nat Young, obviously Nat Young Junior, the young one. Yeah. Since I've had a few drinks and it's getting late, let me level with you something else uh, on something else. Uh, Nat Young and I have a weird seventh grade Mean Girls fr- frenemy thing stewing. Have had <laughs> Mean Girls frenemies thing stewing for quite a while. Hot Santa Cruz surfers have traditionally considered everything north of Big Sur NorCal and therefore their territory, happily shooting photos at your home break. So I run into Nat every few months in the water. We've had friendly enough interchanges until I had a few drinks late night and wrote some bullshit about <laughs> Nat being the vanilla ice of Santa Cruz or something. <laughs> That's then, so good. And then the WSL published it or Surfline did. I don't remember. But Nat read it and he was not, my, he was not so friendly anymore. I, I tried to explain to him that I'm just one of those guys who's friendly in person, a total asshole in the water, and even more of an asshole in writing, especially when I'm paid to say shitty things about nice kids I vaguely know. <laughs> Look, it, it just goes to show that whatever it is, it maybe you know, it's the same thing. Like like England, due to its shit weather and uh, everything else, produces some of the best music in the world. Maybe uh, San Francisco, it, the fog and the and the um, mm. you know everything yes. else has contributed has contributed to uh, it being a a pillar of uh, of surf journalism and writing. Yes. We're going to have to wrap up because my life is 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 calling and the, uh, the the gremlins in Silicon Valley are telling us that our time is limited. Um, yeah. Uh, there is a surf music interchange. Now, you mentioned the Quicksilver Messenger service and the tubes. Yeah. Can I give you some other San Francisco bands down the ages? Yeah, hit me. S- Swell. Oh, actually, are pretty good. Have you have you heard anything by Swell? No, no. <laughs> yeah, I'd recommend it. Oxbow. Um, Is that Laird Hamilton in that? <laughs> he must be. Um, at Laird Hamilton and uh, Robbie Page. Um, yeah. The Pointer Sisters. Ah. <laughs> um, I don't know what? if that's uh, if that's the Lennox Pointer Sisters or the. Uh, uh, so excited. The... <laughs> uh, Hot Tuna. Okay. <laughs> Hot fucking tuna. Eddie so and the, Eddie and the Tide. Um uh, the <laughs> Ebb and Flow. Oh, okay. Day Wave. <laughs> Day Wave. Day Wave. What oh. is, is that like a uh, is that like a weekend warrior? I'm not sure. And uh yeah. and Rogue Day Wave, wave. Dave. <laughs> Rogue Wave. Rogue Wave. Yeah. Nice. Wow. There's some uh there's some surf bands right there. Um, and, and my three favourite songs from San Francisco are obviously White Rabbit. Um, oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> um, I've pro- probably mentioned this before, but the, the classic scene in, um, 
in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas where the uh, attorney is in the bath and he, he says, throw throw in the radio when R- White Rabbit peaks. <laughs> peaks. <laughs> um, so good. 92 till infin- 93 till infinity by the... Ah. Um, uh, no. Yes. Uh, uh, Souls of Mischief. Souls of Mischief. Souls, yeah, that, I love that song. Yeah. Um, the, the, the beat is just uh, insane. And right now, you know, we're just maxing in the studio. We're hailing from East Oakland, California, and um, sometimes it gets a little hectic out there. But right now, you know, we're going to up you on how we just chill. Down to seven digits, call up Bridget. Her man's a midget. Plus, she got fridge, yo, I can dig it. Here's a 40 swigging, you know it's frigid. I got him chilling in the cooler, break out the you like by digital underground um <clears throat> so i we must incorporate this into the mix um because it has some of the best lyrics of all time um and basically it just says fuck it do anything you like whenever you like what you like who gives a shit what people think and uh yeah let's go It's okay if you drool, cause everybody's gonna strip and jump in the pool and do what we like. And do what we like. Homegirls, for once, forget you got class. See a guy you like? Just grab him in the biscuits. And do what you like. No red, white, tan, black, yellow, or brown. It really doesn't matter, we could all get down and do what we like. And do what we like. From a pink skin Yankee to a blue black southerner, ditch digger or governor, just do what you like. Look how you like. Now don't you know we're getting busy? We can't be corrected. Shakespeare had to be deaf. I say what I like. Like I said, sometimes we bite. Even though you don't think it's right. Yo, I like to bite. Just having fun, y'all. And if you think it's wrong, that's you probably got this San Francisco uh, summed up. Like. In, in the attitude yeah i would say so i would say so yeah um always the the kind of rebellious um you know from berkeley uni to wherever um, and that, that's the other thing that there is that huge divide of course because you've got your silicon valley and then and um obviously your berkeley's and and the city itself and then on the other side of the heart of the um of the harbour or whatever, you've got Oakland and, and all of that, which mm-hmm. is ov- obviously far grittier. And that's where, you know, that's where a lot of good hip hop has come from and, and actually a, good, a lot of good kind of hardcore stuff as well. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I remember there, there's also an area in, in the city called uh, the Tenderloin area. Ooh. And I don't know what it's called, the Tenderloin. <laughs> maybe maybe I've been doing too many, um, I don't know, Deep knee bends or something, <laughs> uh, but um, I I went there and I, I I I parked my car. I had a rental car. A day in or two in San Francisco. Long story. Anyway, I parked the car, went off to a pub or whatever, and when I 
was looking at the map to go back. I was like, shit, I'm in, I'm parked in the Tenderloin area and I got to walk back because I parked there during the day and I had to walk back at night and I was shitting myself. So I, I kind of did uh George Costanza style. I thought, well, if I'm, if I'm eating something, I'll look a lot more casual. So I kind of walked into a 7-Eleven and bought a hot dog or something and I kind of just chewed on it while I walked back to my car. So I just didn't look as freaked out. Yeah, that's um, good. See, George, um, George is George is just a sage. <clears throat> he is. But uh, can I hit you with some of my uh, my San Franciscan songs? Absolutely. Um, uh, well, a big big fan of mine. Um, oh, sorry, I'm a big fan of his. <laughs> you never, you never know, say. mate. You never know. <laughs> Jack Kerouac. Um, he spent a he spent a bit of time working for the San Francisco Railway back in the day and uh, wrote this great uh, sort of poem which is backed by piano called October in the Railroad Earth. There was a little alley in San Francisco back of the Southern Pacific Station at 3rd and Townsend in red brick of drowsy lazy afternoons with everybody at work and offices in the air you feel the impending rush of their commuter frenzy as soon they'll be charging en masse for market and sansom buildings on foot and in buses and all well-dressed through working man Frisco of walk-up truck drivers. And even the poor grime be marked third street of lost bums, even Negroes so hopeless and long left east and meanings of responsibility and try that now all they do is stand there spitting in the broken glass, sometimes 50 in one afternoon against one wall at third and Howard. It is all these Milbray and San Carlos neat necktied producers and commuters of America and steel civilization rushing by with San Francisco chronicles and green call bulletins, not even enough time to be disdainful. They've got to catch 130, 132, 134, 136, all the way up to 146 till the time of evening supper in homes of the railroad earth when high in the sky the magic stars ride above the following hot shot freight trains. It's all in California. Wow, so that was San Francisco. I didn't realize how hilly it was going to be. Well, um, I reckon that we have done San Francisco. I, I, I want to go now. I want to go visit. Okay. Uh, all right, um, I have to sign off um, and um, wish you all, the uh, all you listeners out there, the best. Just don't get stuck wow. on one of those uh, big, big waves. Yep, and if you hear a basso profundo... Run. It's time to, yeah, it's time to run. Run uphill. Go All right. On your stand. Laters. Ciao, Laters, ciao. Later. Bye-bye. Ooh.